Welcome back. I met uh, Don Raffle a few years ago uh, when I read her remarkable book about a remarkable, weird guy who uh, spent some time at the uh, Century of Progress exhibition. For those of you, I don't know, you'd have to be pretty old to have gone. There was 1933-34 right along the lakefront, not far from here. It was a strange case of Dr. Coney. How a Mysterious European Showman Saved Thousands of American Babies. We are going to talk about Don's new book, a fabulous, uh, compelling, arresting book called Boundless is the Sky. But, Don, how are you? And let's talk about that weird doctor for a while first. Okay. Oh, I'm well. Thank you. <laughs> I am fine. Yes. <laughs> it, no, this is a remarkable book. So is that. You got sort of caught up in the... Century of Progress exhibition when you discovered some uh, papers of your father's that mentioned it and you, as you told me before, you dove into what you called a four-year-long rabbit hole of research. It's really uh, paid off for you because this book, you can't escape the Century of Progress, can you, Don? No, it's like the gift that keeps on giving. (laughs) Yeah, this book is, uh, well, Talk about Dr. Cooney for a while. That book, I'm surprised no one's made a movie of it yet, but the movie business is insane now. Uh, tell the listeners about about this uh, character. There, and in so doing, you will certainly explain why you were captivated by this guy. Yes. Yeah, so I became interested in what was the Century of Progress World Fair, which my father went to. And one of the main exhibitions on the Midway is this giant exhibit that said living babies in incubators in huge letters. And I thought, what on earth? What a, what a crazy thing. Yeah. It was run by a guy named Mar- who called himself Dr. Martin Cooney. And it turned out that it wasn't just Chicago. This guy did this for 40 years from uh, about 1900 to 1940. Um, and he was mostly on Coney Island in Atlantic City, but he also went to every major world fair in the early 20th century with this exhibit. Um, and it turned out the hospitals really were not doing very much at all to save preemies. Sure. And so he was it. He had the equipment that they didn't have in the hospitals. There was a lot of resistance to it. And so people who were desperate to save their children would, the way you would save your tiny preemie was to send the baby to a sideshow. It's just absolute craziness. He also had a few secrets. He claimed that he was French and uh, had studied under this great French doctor, and all of that was fake. He made up everything. So he was um, an imposter, but he actually saved these children if, and if memory when, if memory serves let me if memory serves you i think you paid the number of babies that he probably saved at seven thousand which is a, a pretty substantial number it's a lot i mean his secret weapon was his nurses um and in chicago chicago was really important because he had a real doctor who was an ally and saw dr cooney as a way to get publicity for he also had a passion for saving preemies. Mm. So that Chicago World Fair was a real turning point for the entire country wow. in drawing attention to how to save preemies. 
uh, and changing our public health policies. Um, but when I, came, when I came to Chicago, there were people in the audience who showed oh, up. Oh, no. I was, I was one of those babies, or my mother, or my father. That was, that was uh, I'm reading my old uh, story about you. I said your writing is powerful as one might expect, given your resume, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But it is also sensitively emotional, as when she attended a 2000, God, I remember reading this, 2015 reunion of some of Cooney's female babies. Quote, one by one, the women arrived in their black slacks and their colorful tops, red and green and speckled blue. They greeted one another not as strangers, but as friends who had a deep-as-bones connection. Out on the porch, the women posed for photographs together with the ocean in the background, the wind in their hair. That that book, to me, I know you've written others, and I know you have uh, done a ton of writing. That, that book, to me, was... Uh, memorable forever, I think. I could not have been, uh, Don Raffle, the only person raving about that book, was I? Oh, um, thank you. That's wonderful. I really appreciate it. And um, I think there was a lot of of interest and a lot of people um, enthusiastic about it, in part because that's that's the kind of story, if you're a writer, if you stumble across a story like that once in your life, you're very lucky. Yeah. It's like, well, it's sort of like, uh, you know, Eric, our mutual friend, Eric Larson, stumbling across uh, the World's Fair. Yeah, (laughs) stumbling across it in a very big way in 1893, the Columbian Exposition year. Take me back to some of your background. I'm fascinated with your background. You went, you were born, raised in Milwaukee? I was, um, but both my parents were born and raised in Chicago. And there was still a lot of family there, and so... Chicago was like the great emerald city of my childhood. We visited often, and I loved it. Well, it's paid off with with certainly with I still this, do. certainly certainly with this. Now, you you went to Medill uh, School of Journalism at Northwestern with the intention of being becoming a journalist, as many my brother went there, and that's what he did not do with his career. <clears throat> but was that your idea initially to become a journalist? That was the idea initially, but I um, then left. I was there for two years, and mm-hmm. I transferred to Brown. And I was more interested in uh, magazine work, and uh, eventually I also wrote fiction. Uh, I'm sure the focus of all of these schools has changed. Yeah, um, of course. No. Yeah. How did you get so, involved in helping launch... Uh Oh, the Oprah magazine, which is a another of her phenomenons. How did you get involved with that? And what was that launch um, like? Well, okay, I was in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. I was the long time. Uh, I, I was a long time editor at Red Book magazine, which is doesn't sure. exist anymore. But um, it was owned by Hearst magazines, and they were launching O magazine in conjunction with. Hearst and Herpel Productions, and I was just playing tapped. Wow! Go over there. So <laughs> they uh, called and asked if I was interested, and I like, oh, let me think about that. Yeah, let me think. Oprah, who? <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> yeah. And what what was it like to launch that magazine? I mean, you you must have, unlike 
you know, the there's now a graveyard filled with uh, magazines from the golden age of magazines, and Oprah the magazine is not one of those in the graveyard. It it was almost assured of success. Uh, how much did was Oprah involved? Not to talk oh, out of school. Was, yeah, I, I I'm not talking out of school, but it, you know, it was her magazine. Definitely, she was involved. Um, and it was, it was just an incredible experience. How long did you stay with the magazine? I stayed there about seven years. Mm, mm, mm. That's a good long time. And when did you write your first book and what was it? Um, my first book was called In the Year of Long Division and it was a collection of stories and it came out in January of 1995. Mm. Wow. So you are a fully working author. Boundless as the Sky, from which I'm going to read a, a few passages, because it's just, it's, it's, it is not a book of poetry, but it is, it is poetic in uh, the best possible ways, Don Raffle. This, you couldn't, you couldn't let the world's fair go. And I have to believe that the seed yeah. of this, the seed of this book was obviously planted in your research for the Cooney book, yes? Uh, originally, I was going to write fiction about the World's Fair. Mm-hmm. And then I stumbled onto Dr. Cooney, and I thought, okay, this is just completely crazy. And I went looking for a book about Dr. Cooney and didn't find one. Amazing. And so that hijacked my life <laughs> for several years. And then I really said to people, I, well, I've gotten this out of my system now. I can let this go. But apparently I couldn't. <laughs> this happened. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased that you haven't. It is a, it is a, a sort of book in two parts. Uh, well, we'll take a little break. I'm, I'm keeping Don Raffle on all the way till, uh, you know, way after six. And because I just think this book deserves a ton of attention and we'll, uh, <laughs> just the the photograph done on page 127 of General Italo Balbo uh, is one of the most astonishing photographs I've ever seen in my life. He looks, I don't know if he looks nuts or he looks like a movie star or what it is. And we have a street not far from here named in his honor. We'll tell you all about him uh, after a short break. Don Raffle's latest book, uh, a relatively thin book of 133 pages is strange it's compelling it's arresting it is titled boundless as the sky it has a remarkably beautiful uh illustration on the cover of chicago and an airplane don how did you Give me the seed. I don't mean to get into the mysteries and the mysteries of a writer's mind, but how was this book born? What did you say to yourself? Did you say, wow, here's another interesting story from the World's Fair of 1933-34? How did you create such a a distinctive book? Oh, um, thank you. Well, when I was researching the World's Fair, there was there were really uh, two things that kept um, striking me, and one was the um, there was an incubator 
uh, baby reunion that mm-hmm. was held in 1934. And the other one was this event in 1933, which was the arrival of these, this, the Roaring Armada as, of Goodwill, as it was called in the Chicago Tribune and yep. elsewhere, yep. which was that Mussolini sent his seaplanes to land in Lake <sighs> Michigan at the World's Fair. And, of course, we weren't at war with Italy, and this was, you know, applauded by President Roosevelt. Roosevelt, sure. Hundreds of thousands of people were out there on the lakefront cheering for um, the arrival of these planes, which it was an absolutely spectacular feat of technology. Um, And I'm sure it was visually stunning, but you, to me, I was struck by looking at images like, all these little boys are going to be fighting in World War II, including yeah. some of my own relatives. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, you look at that with hindsight, and it just it, it <laughs> my my father my father among them my father among them. He's, he went out there to watch that uh, that event, and then he wound up uh, in uh, in the Pacific in World War II. Uh, it, you're right about that. I mean, and. The fact that, you know, Balbo, now there's a, a, a certain push in Chicago to have his name removed from, uh, they named a street in his honor, a street right next to the Conrad Hilton Hotel. So you said, well, did you think to yourself, well, okay, this is meant for fiction? Or how does it, you had just finished a book, a remarkable nonfiction book about the doctor and the preemie babies. Did you think for a moment on raffle that well maybe another nonfiction book would suit this or did it seem too ready for fiction um i thought about possibly doing it as nonfiction, but i felt that um first of all i don't read italian so doing that kind of archival research that i would need to know about him um i did research him, but not as deeply as I would have wanted to. Sure, for a nonfiction. And I really wanted to, yeah, I really wanted to explore some some of the, just the ordinary people who would have been there, and that seemed better suited to me to write that as fictional. Well, so the uh, first... It was really, it's... Yeah, explain, the first part of the book is... Uh, is a kind of written response to it, Italo Calvino's Invisible Cities. I do not know that book. What is that book? Um, that is a book that, you know, I, I in some ways should be terrified to say, how dare I even respond no, to this I... great work of art. But I'm old, so let's take it. <sighs> um, that book is just a masterpiece, and it's a... Um, it's an imagined conversation in which it's um, um, Marco Polo and Kublai Khan, and Marco, and he's explaining these all these fantastical cities that he supposedly visited, uh-huh. um, and they become more and more fantastical. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous book, and there is a supposition that ultimately. Each of these fantastical cities is Venice, some aspect of Venice. It's been interpreted so many ways. And is it a novel? Is it poetry? Is it stories? People have also debated that. Sure. Um, so this was just one, you know, wasn't any kind of direct response, but it was in, inspired by yeah, I there think... are some 
I, the, the phrase written response it, it is what threw me a bit. I, I can certainly see you being inspired uh, by such a book and seeing how it would fit into this sort of created city on the lakefront. Can I read a portion of, of the first part of this book, Don? Would you that be okay with you? Sure. Because one of the things that has ever fascinated me about uh, the Century Progress exhibition is a certain woman who danced there uh, in the first half of Dawn's uh, remarkable book, a section called The Second City, 1934, 1933 to 1934. It's called Fan Dancer. And you'll get a sense of what a, what a beautiful writer uh, Dawn Raffle is, too. In the beginning, the dancer used fans. The fans were made of feathers. The feathers were ostrich. So skilled was the dancer in moving the fans back and forth in front of her body that people believed she was naked beneath them. This was an illusion, a trick of the eye. In the beginning, the dancer was a classical performer who failed to earn a living. In the beginning, the dancer was a girl. In the beginning, the dancer was an egg. In the beginning, the dancer was seed. In the beginning, the dancer was weightless, unseeable, and boundless. Never mind. The beginning makes no difference for the purpose of this story. The stage where this story takes place, where the dancer performed with her fans, was in the streets of Paris. The dancer was not French, not at the time of the story, nor in the beginning. The stage where this dance was performed was not in Paris, nor in France, nor in the streets, nor in Berlin, with its famously risque cabarets, nor in Brussels or Vienna or Warsaw, nor anywhere in Europe. In fact, the streets of Paris could be found across an ocean at the great World's Fair called the Century of Progress. Over the course of a summer, millions of citizens crowded into temporary structures which in the beginning had been nothing to celebrate a vision of the future and also to enjoy a bit of naughty entertainment night after night the dancer was arrested her ostrich feather act was deemed indecent the following summer the century of progress reopened for its second and final season in chicago it was 1934 the feather fans were gone, but not the dancer. She had changed her act and was dancing in a bubble. That, that's just such beautiful writing, Don Raffle. I, 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 uh, it's an honor to read something like that. Was it difficult to write, to put together a one-page uh, piece like that? Is that difficult for, was it difficult for you to write? Oh, thank you. You know, I really enjoy writing short. I gravitate mm. toward that. And it may be because of uh, having been to journalism school, having been a magazine editor where every column inch of real estate is something you have to fight for. Um, I, I just to me, actually writing long is hard. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I, I just that of course is is uh, inspired by not only Italian Calvino but uh, the one and only Sally Rand. Uh, Boundless as the sky is the name of Don's book. What do you call this, Don? You call this a novel? What do you call this? Um, I call it stories in a novella. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so this so yes, and um, not all of the first half. 
some of them aren't cities and some of them are people. Right, right, um, right. Uh, um, you know, and, and some of them appear again in the second half, as Sally Rand does. But it's kind of a, things that happen in one part of the world affect every every other place, as we've seen even more now. And um, all of our stories are kind of fiction. They're, they're all, our yeah. own fictional creations. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, we will uh, explore the second half, part two of Boundless is the Sky, uh, which begins with uh, the, the story from the Tribune by the legendary reporter Philip Kinsley. I am on the phone with Don Raffle, who has a wonderful, wonderful website that you can uh, peruse at your leisure, dawnraffel.com. And we'll be back with Dawn. Uh, do you like talking about your work, Dawn? <laughs> do you? It's a little nerve wracking. Yeah, I'll bet it is, and I'm sorry you're for a that. But you're, but I'm, but I'm, so, I'm sorry about that. But you're, you're such a good writer, and you, you know, it's part of the business of uh, books and marketing these days. Uh, I'm going to read a couple when we continue the conversation after the news. I'll read a couple more sections just to. Give people a sense of, of what a uh, what a remarkable writer you are. So please hang on, all of you. Welcome back to After Hours with me, Rick Kogan, on WGN. My guest is Don Raffle, a uh, remarkably talented writer. She used to edit uh, Oprah's magazine, but big deal. Uh, your previous book, <laughs> Don, uh, when I reviewed Don's previous book, The Strange Case of Dr. Cooney, and you can get information about all of Don's work at dawnraffle, R-A-F-F-E-L dot com. I called it fascinating, mysterious, and compelling. I could, I could just Xerox that, and for the same thing applies to Boundless as the Sky. It is a book of sort of short takes that I think, uh, especially the last half of the book, which is set on one day, in 19, 1934, right? 1933. 1933. One day. Sorry, so I get my 30s <laughs> confused. Uh, and it is a series of, it, it said in one day, I'm going to read one thing. This comes from, uh, this is a very short page. Uh, it is titled Dominion. It is from Burton LaSalle, the mayor of Midget City. When he looks at the sky, as he does every morning as the sun comes up, he is only as small as everyone else. Midget City is closed. He has shut the place down for the afternoon and for all of tonight, for them to gather by the water, husbands and wives, neighbors and friends, rivals in affection, wounded and loved, citizens all of the city they've created by willing its existence as with any city. People can stare at them, suit yourself, from around the great earth, from beyond the horizon. The seaplanes are coming. They are calling it the roaring armada of goodwill in all the papers, on the radio. He wishes for them, the people who live in his city, to see what he sees, to feel what he feels. Boundless. Now, I said earlier that this book this is not a book of poetry, but that's pretty poetic, Don. Uh, please, I hope you please take that as a, a high praise, will you? 
Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. How hard? Let me ask you a technical question. Not that I'm going to embark on fiction writing, but how difficult is 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 something like that? You know, it's a couple hundred words, maybe. Is that difficult for you to write? Do you rewrite something like that? I do rewrite, um, but I enjoy revising. I'd be really happy revising the same sentence for a year if I were left to my own devices. So um, I do spend a lot of time revising. And that was real. There was a midget city at the same time. Yeah, I know. It's, it's... In 1933, they had a ma- their own mayor you know, that they assigned, and they had a, a, their own publication that was called the Midget City News. Unbelievable. This must, you're not doing any more research. I'm not trying to, you know, give you a roadmap for your future writing, but are you done with the century of progress? Um, well, I believe that I am, although, you know, you never know how these things work, but I think I am. <laughs> well, you, you're imagine, you're, you're, your imagination is in full flower in this book. And I'm especially taken with the uh, many parts of the first part, but the second part is really something because it's all in one day. I'll give you another example, uh, ladies and gentlemen, since we're on a radio show. This is a short section called The Radio is On. In a furniture store in Lincoln Park, there's not a single customer. Remember, this is the day that uh, Balbo is landing all of his planes. So, uh, the store is clo- the store closed at five without a sale today, and yet the owner remains sitting by the radio. The broadcast is live from the Century of Progress. Later, he will walk back home to his wife's sweet kitchen, his daughters, his son, who thinks he can't understand what it means to love something you cannot have. Later, in time. For now he is listening. For now he is envisioning the city he came from. Dresden, the jewel box of Europe. For now in his mind, his walking streets, he is seeing its castle, its sky. That too, uh, Don Raffle, is is just lovely, lovely, lovely writing. Uh, When you finish a a book like this, I I have to imagine for you, who who has just admitted to being a a, uh, habitual reviser, uh, how do you let it go? How do you finally say, okay, well, that's the book? I, um, you know, I don't let it go so easily, and every book I've written, after it's been accepted, I end up revising it again, because it suddenly (laughs) seems real. Um, And sometimes when I give a reading, I revise it again. (laughs) Good for you. Who, uh, yeah. I know that authors have a little say, but you're in in uh, in what the book is going to eventually look like. But I must tell you, this is a really, really beautiful uh, piece of art on the cover. Do you have anything to do with that? I do not. This beautiful piece of artwork was created by Anne Marie Hansel, who is the artist, mm. uh, and I will let her know <laughs> yeah it, it's it's just stunning and the book the book is filled with uh with uh, photos and other illustrations i'm trying to find that strange picture of balbo with a cigarette and uh uh with the notion why the the photos and 
other illustrations in the book. Did you find it necessary? You do, of course, have Sally Rand on page 63 and uh, compelling with her with her feathers. But there's some really beautiful shots in here, many of them sort of, I don't th- I think, the, yeah, these are contemporary shots. Uh, why the photographs, which I find arresting and compelling and beautiful? I just, I couldn't resist this. The pictures from the Century of Progress, um, some of those images, I just felt like my jaw just dropped when I saw. I could have, I could have put more in, but um, you know that seemed to, uh, enough. I didn't want to overwhelm it. But that picture of just everybody sitting by the lakefront, oh yeah, waiting in Soldier Field, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, They're I, in Soldier Field, yep. and um, and they all have hats on. Yep. Um, Well, that was the time. Here's good old Balbo on page uh, 127. Uh, It's a remarkable book, Don. It's it's an ongoing pleasure to know you and to read you. Uh, What are you working on? Um, I can't. It's too soon to even say. Okay. I will reverse myself in a minute, but thank you for asking. <laughs> Don, I, I hope to meet you face-to-face one of these days, but uh, just keep writing. This, this, this is a, a gorgeous, gorgeous and very moving uh, book. Boundless is the Sky is the name of it. You can buy it wherever people sell books, or you could go to Dawn's website and check out her other work, Dawn, R-A-F-F-E-L.com. Don, take care of yourself. Let me know if you're ever in Chicago. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Okay, take care. Take care. She's a very, very talented writer.